Good morning, church. It is great to see all of you. Um, I really just want to take some time to welcome all of you to the Chicago Church of Christ. Whether you are here every week or whether this is your first time joining with us, your participation in our community helps to enrich it. Your smile, your laugh, uh, your vulnerability, your words of encouragement, um, you, you joining our voices in singing, you know, even if your voice is a little bit less uh, awesome as an angel as mine is, uh, it's, it's still a way in which you are a part of us. I also want to thank those joining us online, because um, you are still participating in our community, and you are joining us as we worship the Lord together in spirit and in truth. So for today, we're going to be continuing in our sermon series on Jesus in action. Specifically, we're going to be looking at how Jesus deals with sin, and today we're going to be looking on his take on anger. So a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount, because we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. This is the big stage for Jesus. This is when he starts showing up on the scene. Um, the stakes are high. Um, he's, he's baptized by John the Baptist. He finds some of his disciples, and now he's got a crowd in front of him, and he's giving really a lot of spicy takes on what it means to love God, what it means to follow him, and what it means to treat those around us the same. So here in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21, if you want to move to the next slide, it reads, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So what he says here is super radical. There's so many radical teachings here in Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, and just all of Jesus' words, to be honest. And I think the way he starts here can be very worrying. You know, he says, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which was like a word of contempt, is answerable to the court. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, I've been angry with a brother or sister many a times. I've said the equivalent of Raka many of times. And I think what he puts behind uh, these words and these actions really tells us how we should be viewing these things. He says you're subject to judgment. And I'm like, just for being a little bit angry? It's like, okay, the murder part, that makes sense. I'm like, okay, like, okay, like, don't murder anybody. But what he's saying here 
is that there's a certain level of seriousness that we need to have when we address our anger. How do we speak when we get angry? Are we calling people fools? When I'm, I don't know, when I'm upset, all the other arguments around me, they just sound like nonsense. And then I go from trying to find solutions to trying to tear this other person down. This is what Jesus is calling us again. And I think there's just some immediacy that's within the words of this scripture. It says if you're in the middle of making an offering to God, you're trying to submit to God, you're trying to do something for him, you're trying to give something to him. He says, stop, wait, first go and be reconciled to your brother and sister. And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why your brother and sister has something against you. It doesn't say whether you did something to them or not, or maybe they're just jealous. Um, Either way, it says that this is something that should be addressed with urgency and immediacy because the stakes are high. Following this, it talks about settling matters with an adversary quickly. Again, there's that same intentionality. This time, it's less ambiguous. At least in the, in the eyes of the people around, you've done something to make you guilty. If, if when they hand you over to the court, the judge is looking to put you in prison, that means at least the judge and the officers, they're all convinced that you've done something to wrong this person. So now the shoe is on the other foot. And in the scripture, it says they may hand you over, and they may hand you over to the officers, and they may throw you into prison. But when the stakes are so high, do we really want to take that chance? Next slide. And so I really just want us to consider, how high are the stakes? When the stakes aren't high, you could do something a little bit silly. You know, you could you know, teeter on the edge a little bit. You could play a little bit game. But when things are serious, our actions need to reflect that. So, like, something that I've thought about just looking back on my life, there's been a lot of moments in which, honestly, I haven't taken the stakes very seriously. It's because I didn't see it as super important. My frontal lobe was still developing, and, you know, the immediate things around me seemed of more importance than even my own life at times. So I started working out like freshman year of college. I'm like, oh, I want to get big. I want to get strong. I loaded way too much on the bar. I thought, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to do it. I'm like, I'm pretty strong. I can do a couple push-ups. It did not go that way. That, that, the bar was coming down on my neck. And the silly part is, there were people asking me if I need help. You need help, you need help, you need help. But in that moment, I'm like, oh, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, I'm really about to die here. But I'm way too prideful. And then I remember this, uh, this woman was working out. She was like curling. This just turned around, went, grabbed the bar, put it all the way back up that easily. And I'm like, dang, I need to get in here more. I think uh, on top of that, one time I drove to Iowa with some friends. Uh, My mom's not going to like this one. She's in the crowd. Um, But we went to this place called Ledges, and we we hiked for a bit, and then there was a river, you know, the Iowa River. I don't know how to swim. (laughs) And so folks started jumping and jumping in. I'm like, I'm not jumping in. I don't know how to swim. But then like five minutes go by, and I'm like, but what if I just like... And so I jump in. I'm in the water trying to swim. I'm like swallowing so much water, grabbing reeds, 
the, the disciples on the other side, they're all worried because they're like, we haven't seen Alamin. Where is he at? Eventually, I make it following the current, you know, and I make it out of the water. But that easily could have went another way. Another example, I was at this uh, summer camp, or not a summer camp, kind of. It was like a fall retreat. They had this canoeing portion. I still didn't know how to swim. And there was the option to either get in a two-person canoe or be in a one-person. But I was so, like, I was just terrified. I was nervous. I was like, I don't know a lot of these people here. I don't want to ask someone to come with me. And so the social pressure of not wanting to ask someone to be in a canoe with me was more important than my potential life. And so I get in the canoe. We're out in the middle of the lake. My canoe starts taking up water. I'm like, oh, this is not good. Canoe starts sinking. I have to like get off and like grab onto somebody else's canoe. And here's the thing, I can't just climb in because I might tip it. So I'm just like hanging on, swinging my legs up, just clenching, just trying to like make it back to shore. And so I have a lot of other stories like this. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, you know, they, they lessened as I started maturing. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that clearly I didn't accurately evaluate the stakes at hand. Inflating my ego or looking cool or being too shy to speak up were of greater significance to me than my own life. And it almost costed me every penny, like it says here in this scripture. What is so important to you in your life that it causes major oversights in your view of sin? I think especially in our anger, it's so easy to justify so many things. How could he do this? How could he say this? Doesn't he see how this makes no sense? Doesn't she see my point of view? And in that, we, we, we justify saying things that damage relationships in order to protect our own self of, sense of self or our own ego. And so, funnily enough, despite the clear lack of judgment I just shared with you guys, if you invite me into your home and you sit me down in front of a game of Monopoly, I will become like a tactical genius. You see me, I'm playing like my life depends on it. I'm calculating the potential positions of everyone's pieces in two to three turns. I'm using the dice probability. I'm, I'm going all the way. If we're playing Uno, I'm keeping track of which cards have been played to give me the best chance possible. And so really what I'm trying to communicate with this is to be honest, the true value of something doesn't always have too much importance in our decision making. The thing that changes how we think and how we act is what our perceived significance of those things are. If you got a gold ring and you give it to a baby, it's just any other toy. If you've got like a car, like a, you got like a Benz or something, you give it to someone who just got their license, who's just trying to hang out with their, that's not a good idea. But it's not going to be treated the way that it truly deserves. And so I think the challenge and the thing that Jesus is trying to communicate uh, through these scriptures here is for us to see things the way that God sees them. Do we see our sin the way that God sees it? Do we see our anger with the same type of seriousness that Jesus is declaring here? 
When we act in anger, do we recognize that we could be in the judgment seat? When we, when we sin against others in this way, when we wrong someone, are we quick to try to settle matters? Are we looking to play the odds, to uh, play the stakes, to see, oh, is, they may or they may not, you know? This, this may ruin this relationship or this may foster bad blood, but they could also just forget about it in the morning. Next slide. When the stakes are high, you are gripping on for dear life. You are not messing around. I've seen some of those like Instagram photos and it'll have like a couple and like the guy's like on the edge of the ledge holding the girl, she's hanging off and they're trying to take this cool photo. I'm like, who does that? Not me. <laughs> if I'm right there on the edge, we are not taking any fancy photos. I'm not even on the edge with you. What if the wind comes through? What, what if I slip? Like you're gone. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to do all of that. And it's like when we see those photos, there's a part of us that's like, okay, that looks cool. But we see that and we're like, that does not make sense. That is not how we're to respond in that situation. That's not a place that I want to be. You know, I'm looking more like the person right there if I'm on the red. You know, I'm flexing my arms. Everything is in play to try to uh, maintain my survival. And I think in that same way, do we put everything at our disposal as we're looking to deal with our anger and our sin? Is proving someone wrong more important to you than proving that God's grace is sufficient in being reconciled in your relationships? Is 30 minutes of, of glory and or, or seeing someone sad more important to you than a future with somebody? I think as we really look at the stakes of just what's at play here, like what do our actions say about us? What do they reveal about how we see things? Because at the end of the day, we have to live with whatever decisions we make. There's things that I've said that I can't take back. There's things that I've said that have made people look at me differently or feel unsafe around me. How do you take those things back? You can't unsay them. And you can go and you can, you can apologize. And, and, and the scripture says here, like, go try to find a way to be reconciled. But I think there's a reason why he says what he says first before. Don't even let it get to that point. Yeah. Prevent it. Yeah. The Bible talks about we need to have a harsh rein on our tongues. We need to tame it. We need to be in control of it. And I think really what we have to get at is, do we perceive our sin as rewarding? Do we see lashing out in anger as something that is desirable? Oh, I got him. Oh, snap, like, he's speechless. She doesn't know what to do next. If we value these things, it's always going to lead to a spot where we're fighting against our anger dearly. We're setting ourselves up to fall short and to be handed over to the judge. So, thinking about, give me one second. 
So what are the ramifications of your anger that you've seen so far in your life? I think we've all got moments that we'd like to take back. There, we've all got spots that we would like to erase. And I think just as we consider this topic and we're thinking about the stakes, this is not just something to be looked at in fear, but that there's an opportunity to do better and to show people something different. If we can actually uh, go forward two slides. I just see here somewhere, like, someone's looking up at the stars. Recently, you know, I, I was looking at a scripture about God telling Abraham to count the stars, and he's like, this is how much your descendants can be. At that point, he had no children. He had no way to move forward. He's like, God, I don't even see any. How are you telling me that I'm going to have as many offspring as the stars? But he believes God in that moment. And so as we're weighing our options, I don't just want us to be out here fearful, like, oh, no, I'm going to get this judgment. Or, oh, no, this, may be, this relationship may be ruined. But for us to see that there's an opportunity for something more. Yeah. Jesus, as people poured out their anger on him on the cross, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He, he matched their wrath with God's grace. He matched their contempt with blessing. They cursed him, and he was looking to do everything for them. And Jesus calls us to do the same. We have to evaluate ourselves first, see what motivates us, see how we view our sin, but then we have to take the extra step to follow God. Do we see what he finds important to rule in our lives? He values reconciliation. He values unity. He values transformation. And a lot of that isn't possible with human anger if we let it have our way. So considering the cross, look at the example Jesus gives us. If we look to the next slide, in Hebrews chapter 12, it reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Second, next slide. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the way Jesus chose to react to our sin. He came, he lived a sinless life, he healed, he met needs among us. But then in the, the moment of action, he took the opportunity to show us something different. He saw a joy that nobody else could see in that moment. Can we see that joy around us? Can we find that joy in the midst of temptation? His result was that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's right there with God. God's there and he's right next to him. He's close. And I think this is what I want us to really consider, you know, as we take the bread and we take the juice that is his body and his blood. Let us go to God in prayer. Dear Lord, 
thank you for bringing us together on this wonderful Sunday morning. I'm super appreciative of the ways in which you help communicate your truth to us through the word. I'm excited that you, uh, you give us the opportunity to do something different, for us to move past human anger, for us to see our sin as you see it, but be transformed instead of being ruled by it. In this time, I really just pray that we consider how you've lived your life and we imitate that. That we, we match anger for grace, that we match insults for blessing, and that we would see the joy that you have set before us and allow that to motivate us to love and good deeds. Super appreciative of our ability just to learn more about you, to follow you, and that you would choose to partner with us as we live our lives. All this I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.